scripture reading is from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and had come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word that you've given us in your kindness a way to know you and a way to be sure of who it is you are and what it is you're doing and what it is you ask of us so that we might be able to come to you and be called your children to be made yours and live with you forever. Lord, there is nothing greater and more valuable than what you've given us. And so often we fail to see it or take notice of it. Help us today, rivet our attention on what you have for us this morning in this text, that we might see you and we might see your son more clearly by the help of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you're going to want to open it up and you're going to want to keep it handy because we're going to be a few places this morning because this particular account is so woven into the fibers of the text of Scripture that I want us to be able to see it. And I want us to think as we start out about our own lives because there's a phenomenon that's, that's well documented but it's also really experienced. The, ph the phenomena is that as we go through life and we kind of find ourselves in places where um, you know, we've been working to get to this place in our life and we finally get there or um, we are persistent about something that we're, con that we're convinced of and we get accolades for it. This is common among doctors, it's common among um, philanthropists, it's common among pastors, it's common among parents, it's common among husbands and wives. That when someone says, wow, you're really good at that, we think, 
oh, if they only really knew me. Or that um, when you get the award and there's a banquet and there's applause, you go home and you look at it and you put it on the mantle where it's going to collect dust and you say, I feel like such a phony. There's something about genuine people that often when they get accolades, when we get accolades, we feel, um, we feel like it's not us. We feel like it's not due us, like it's not due to us, that we didn't earn this, that we're kind of inauthentic. That we don't have the authority that people think we have, or we don't have the knowledge that people think we have. Um, the surgeon who does heroic rescues every day often goes home and says, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I do it. It's something more than me. And that's a really good place to be. You see, as, as kind of heartbreaking it is, as authentic people feeling like failures, um, there's something that's much more dangerous that we find in this text. And that has to do with total phonies thinking that they're the real deal. And all of our life, we go through dealing with these two issues, these issues of qualification and authority and stuff like that. And we're either trying to work for it and justify ourselves or assume that we have it and establish ourselves. And we walk around with some variation of these things and they do different things to us according to kind of how we hold them. And Matthew, from the beginning of this text, he, he weaves together these two ideas of Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, savior of the world, ruler of the world, priest, king, fully human, fully divine. And then this other contrast, Jesus as the all-powerful, perfectly good, and yet also this one who comes in tenderness and vulnerability. At the, at the time of this event, I, some people place this at two years old. I don't think so because, because Mary and Joseph are going to go to Egypt and return by Passover. We know that Jesus was born at the end of December and that Herod would be dead by Passover, by mid or late April. All of these events are compacted into the first under six months of Jesus' life. And already in these very opening aspects of his life, in these opening events, he's already displaying himself to be the king of history. And he's showing us what kind of reign he will have and what kind of reign he has. And so this text opens with these magi and says that they came from the east. And for a long time, we've talked about them coming from the Orient. we talked about them coming from Arabia. There's some good reason, since they're called Magi, first of all, why we think they may have come from Persia. There's another good reason in history why, because in, in, three, around, in the late 300s, the Church of the Nativity was built, and there was a mosaic put on the outside of it. When the Persians in... Um, that was 390 when the Persians in 614 invaded Israel and began to um, burn down the villages and clear the, the inhabitants out and they, they conquered this. 
They came to the Church of the Nativity and said, oh, wait, those are our people. And they left it alone. And so there may be some, there's an early testimony here that these are very likely Persians. Uh, uh, the cast of the Magi, perhaps priests of, of Zoroaster. And they came to the palace on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and they asked, where is born the king of the Jews? And there's a problem when you go to the palace and you ask the king, where's the newborn king? <laughs> and the, the king says, you know, Herod says, you, you mean me? No, 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 no. We, we're looking for the real one. <laughs> That's really threatening. And Herod, who is living out of this question of, where is my authority coming from? And am I the real deal? Acts out of all of these things in the ways that we do when we encounter the kingship of Christ. We, we've sung this text so often. It's in Isaiah chapter 11. And maybe you'll turn there if you have your Bible handy and see this. It says there that after the exile that after the house of David is all gone, basically, that there will come forth a rod out of Jesse. A branch will grow from its roots and that the spirit of God will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In this text, it says that there's coming one out of Jesse. Jesse was not a royal figure. He was a shepherd. His sons were shepherds. And this, is going, this king is going to be the son of Jesse because he's going to be a humble shepherd like his ancestor. This coming one is going to be a root from the stump of Jesse because the house of David is going to be cut down when he appears. In other words, this is a king from humble origins who's going to come out of nothing and suddenly appear. He's going to come out of what we thought was dead wood. This is the kind of king that's coming. But not only, not only that, not only that he is from the approved line of God. Remember that all of this goes back to that covenant that God made with David. You're not going to build a house for me, David. I'm going to be, build a house for you, and I'm going to place your descendant on it, and he's going to rule forever. That's the covenant God made with David. And then it looked like the line was wiped out, and we thought, what can happen now? And then God brought forward the one rightful descendant of David. That's who the baby in the manger is. That's who Herod ain't. The one approved by God. Jesus would be the Davidic king, the rightful heir. And Herod is now threatened. So, of course, the people in Jerusalem are wondering, how did these Persians figure this out? And hopefully you're wondering that too. Well, they said, well, we saw a star in the east. And I always thought, well, if they saw a star in the east, wouldn't they be traveling east? If they came from Persia, they would end up in China, right? But I think it's saying, when we were back home, we saw his star. And it doesn't say that they followed it. It says that they went to the nation where he should arise. Remember that the Persians 
were the oppressors of, at the end of the captivity, that Israel went under Persian control. So Persians were there, people like uh, Daniel was under the Persian Empire and Nehemiah, and so they had the scriptures there, Ezra, they had the scriptures there, they, and these priests who were there collected holy books from all the traditions. And so they saw this star and they began to look and say, well, what nation is gonna have a star that's going to rise? And they ended up very likely in Numbers 24. That's also a prophecy by a pagan prophet who is hired to curse Israel. And it didn't go well. <laughs> and so this is this last prophecy of Balaam about Israel in, in Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise in Israel, and it will crush through Moab and tear down the, the sons of Sheth. Edom will be a possession. Seir, its enemies, will also be a possession. While Israel performs valiantly, one from Jacob will have dominion and will destroy the remnant of the city. And then Balaam goes on to pronounce the judgment on the people who hired him. Uh, so here is this, this ancient prophecy about a star that will rise to point to a king. And it's very clear that that king would be in Israel. And so the best place to look for the king is to go to the capital and go to the palace and look for him. And that's exactly what they did. And certainly Herod asked, well, how did you come up with this? Herod doesn't know. He's sitting there on the throne of David, and he doesn't know. I don't know if you remember back in Deuteronomy that, that it says that when a king comes into power in Israel, the first thing he used to do is handwrite a copy of the Torah himself and keep it in front of him all the time because the, the king is not over the law. Even the law is over the king in Israel. Clearly, Herod hasn't done that. And now he's looking at this prophecy. You think you become king, you want to read the instruction manual, right? But he's now seeing this prophecy that he should have written down himself. He's looking at it for the first time, and he sees, oh, wow. Not only is this king going to come from Jacob, which I am. It's going to come from David, which I'm not. But this king is going to conquer Esau, which I am. Herod is an Edomite sitting on the throne of Israel. And the prophecy is that the coming king is going to be the one who will remove Edom. And it turns out that within two months of this occurrence, Herod will be gone. And the star of the son of David will continue to rise. And so Jesus, right away, is a challenge to Herod's authenticity and to his authority. And this is what I think is at the heart of this text. What Matthew wants us to know is that Jesus is either your greatest hope or your greatest threat. There's no neutral ground about him. He's one or the other. Like... 
what he wants us to know is what the Magi had to come and tell Herod, which is, haven't you heard? There's another king. Haven't you heard? There's another king. Haven't you heard? <laughs> There's another king. And we who, who try to guard our power and defend our legitimacy and withhold power to try and keep it, who so often feel genuine when we're phony or feel phony when we're genuine, find that we're at our most dangerous on the second. We become destructive when we're phonies trying to look like the real thing. And our hearts are revealed at the presence of the real king. And so the next thing we see from this text is that those who hope in Jesus will come to him even though he seems far off. The, the nearest estimate for the travel for these three magi who came is around a thousand miles by camel. But the king and the priests hear about where Jesus is and the priests look it up and find where it is and they won't go three miles to see this baby king. If Jesus threatens your reign, you'll avoid him even though he is near. It's amazing how often um, when a sin begins to occupy our lives, how less and less we have time to read the scriptures. How less time, how, how bitterness or an argument can totally sap us to where we don't pray. It happens so easily and we don't even notice it. We kind of drift into it. That we find ourselves avoiding our king. <coughs> But there's a fitting response to this king. To worship him involves bringing and giving your all. I wish we had time to see all of these prophecies. I'll give them to you real quick. One is Isaiah chapter 60. The other one is Psalm 72. Both of these are instances where it says that for, to the Messiah king when he arrives, that, for, that people from far off will come bringing gifts and that treasure will pour into the land to bring offerings to this king. Isaiah 60 goes even further. It says that there will be offerings of frankincense and gold. Sound kind of familiar? That's what we do when we see this king is who he is. We, we bring him frankincense and gold, but we also bring him myrrh because we remember that he died for our sins that we might draw near to him. And to worship him is to do what they did. They came, they placed these gifts, and they bowed before him. We can lose this sometimes. We forget that the, the verb to worship in the Greek is to fall down before, fall on your face in front of. This baby king would attract the greatest of the nations. Jesus is the great king who would also dethrone the tiniest of nations. There's no great a nation for him to overthrow it. There's no nation so small that he'd overlook it. Even nations of one, even kingdoms of one, he will overthrow. 
Something has to happen to the throne of our hearts when we encounter this king. The king has, has left heaven to come to the manger. He's left his throne to come here, to come down. And he says to us that we've got to do the same. You've got to leave your throne and come to the manger and bow down. Because unlike us, he has no fear for his power. He has no fear for claim for his throne. His authority, his authenticity have been written across the pages of history. And we see it over and over again in these texts. And that, that here is Jesus. He's asleep in his mother's arms as he guides foreign rulers to himself. At the same time, Herod locks himself in his fortress and sends an army to defeat this baby. That's the difference between human rule and the reign of God. We defend power. God bestows it. God gives it. If he rules you, you no longer have to fight for your power, your legitimacy. You don't need to claim your kingship because the king has claimed you. Pastor Hannah reminded me this week as I was looking at this and thinking through it that these magi and their arts were actually forbidden in Israel. These are people who, what they were doing, the way that they were studying their astrology, their magic, their soothsaying, all of it was against the Torah. And yet they came near. And yet they paid a price to come near. They were serious. If, if you want to look at a test of their sincerity, just think about what it cost them in time, in money, in energy. I wish we um, had time to look at T.S. Eliot's poem, The Journey of the Magi. And in it, he talks about what it was like to hire uh, the camel owners and their guides who were fighting all along the way and who are throwing dice and gambling and arguing all night and then being, not being able to sleep and then um, deciding that it's better to travel at night. All the kinds of things that go with a long desert journey. And yet at the end of it, the aging magi who's about to die and he's remembering this journey says, ah, but I would do it again. I would do it again. If you think of all the things in your life, the ways that you've poured yourself out for following Jesus, I hope that you're able to say, it was something, but I would do it again. I would do it again, because he's worth it. I would do it again. <clears throat> the thing that we think about, I think sometimes, is we think that, well, all the rituals in the Old Testament made the worshiper clean so that the worship would be pure. But we don't really think of it from the beginning. If you think about it, all the stuff that they had to do in order to worship was a remedy for the fact that they hadn't given their hearts fully in the first place. If they had, if they had given their hearts to begin with, then the purity of the worship would have purified the worshiper. Uh, this is what David says in the Psalms. The sacrifice and offering you haven't desired. doesn't mean that God doesn't want those things. It's, a, it's basically the idea is, even before that became necessary, there was something that you wanted. There was something, God, that you were after. A heart that loves you and that worships you. 
The sacrifice is to make up for the ways I've messed up, the ways I've failed, my unfaithfulness, my unbelief, my doubt, and the fact that you've been so good to me and I've not even paid it any attention. That's what the offerings are for. But if, if I had been forthright at the very beginning and given you my heart, all of that stuff wouldn't have been necessary because the sincerity of the worship would have cleansed this sinful worshiper. And that's what we see here in the beauty of the fact that these people come and they worship. And Psalm 72 goes on and says, guess what? Descendants of Ishmael will come and they'll offer offerings from their flock that will be acceptable to the Lord. And, and God says in Psalm 60, these offerings, I'm sorry, in Isaiah 60, these offerings will glorify my glorious house. The offerings of people who are far off, who had no claim to come near, who had no authority on their own, who had no authenticity in and of themselves, will become and made authorized and authentic because they come and they bow at the manger and worship the king. And so often we have it backwards. We think that what we've earned, what we've learned, what we know, what we do, makes us worth it. And if only we could know enough and do enough, we'd be good enough. And we have it backwards. It's not who you are, it's whose you are. It's who you belong to that makes you beautiful, that makes you authorized, that makes you wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that's why when you put up that thing on the shelf, that beautiful trophy and that certificate that's well framed and gorgeous and you put it up there and you say, I'm such a phony if they only knew the real me. In a way, you're right. But there's something deeper than that. There's something even truer than that. And that is that God ordained things to do it through you. And the, Hanani says that God will strongly support the one whose heart is truly his. God will work on your behalf to bless you and lift you up because you simply, fully, and completely gave him your heart. That's all he's ever been after. That's all he wants. He's not someone, he's not the long list, among the long list of people that you work to please. When the angels sang over Bethlehem at the birth of Jesus, they said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with those with whom God is pleased. If you want to know the pleasure of God, the pleasure of God was to send his son to make you his. If you want to know what delights God, the delight of God was to send his son so that you could be his. That's his delight. That's his pleasure. That's what pleases him, to make you his. And what's the response? The response is simply this, to lay down our lives, to offer our lives to him. The, the, the crazy discovery is this, that all the while that we were seeking security by forming our own thrones and forging our own accolades, that the only way to know that security is to surrender to Christ as your king. 
the very thing that you were trying to gain by lifting yourself up, that I've tried to gain lifting myself up, the only way to gain it is to come down, is to fall before him, is to worship him and say, this is my king. We have a choice of, of clinging to thrones that are shaky. I have a chair in my study. Every two days, I have to lay it on the floor and pound it back together. And I look down after two days, and the dowels are sticking out, you know, on both sides. Now, I keep wondering, at what point am I going to land on my butt? Okay? That is what our thrones are like. And you can keep trying to establish a shaky throne. Or you can bow before the throne that will establish you. The one that makes it so that you belong to God. So I want us to think, what do I fear? What am I afraid of? What, what makes me feel inadequate? In what situation do I feel powerless, unable to do for myself? Where do I find my greatest insecurities? I want you to think of those. And perhaps there's one, perhaps there's 30, like me, 30, 40, 50, those places. Bring those to Jesus. The only thing that you can give him that he doesn't have is your heart and your sin. Let him cleanse your sin and let him keep your heart. And you'll see what he'll do in and through you. Let's pray together. And Father, we thank you so much that you have written your truth on the banner of history. That time bears witness that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We give you our hearts, our lives, and all that we are this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.